wave at me if you've made a New Year's resolution. Any New Year's resolutions? Nice and high. New Year's resolutions in the room. Yeah, about the same as the 9.30, like 2% of the room. Well, um, how many of you that have made New Year's resolutions have already broken those resolutions? Yeah, a couple, definitely, great. Um, <clears throat> how many of you, be really honest, right? How many of you at a time in the past used to make resolutions, but you've given up on making New Year's resolutions? Isn't that amazing? It was exactly the same at 9.30. Almost everybody is like, I used to do New Year's resolutions, but I have totally given up on New Year's resolutions. One of the things I, I think, uh, one of the reasons why I think we give up on New Year's resolutions is we never keep them and then we feel bad, right? So it's just easier to not go through the disappointment of trying to change something and then not really doing very well and then getting to December and reflecting on the year and thinking time for New Year's resolutions again. I feel like a total failure if my resolution this year is the same as my resolution from last year. So hey, whatever stuff, New Year's resolutions. Um, let me ask maybe a different question, slightly more personal. Um, and I'm not gonna ask you what it is so you can be super honest, okay? How many of you have things in your life, just raise your hand, if you have things in your life that you wish were different, right? Things in your life that you wish were different. Now, I'm not talking about you wish you were going on a ski holiday in March, but you're not. Or like um, I used to, for a very brief part of my life, drive a Land Rover. It's only lasted a few months. It felt really good, I have to be honest. And I now drive a Dacia Duster. And the, the, <laughs> the, the journey from Land Rover to Duster, let's just say it was good for me, right? So I'm not talking about like, you know, you wish you drove a different car or you had more holidays. How many of you have things in your life that you wish were different? I hope all of you say yes, right? Like if we're honest about our lives, we have things that we're like, oh, I wish that this was not the case. And one of the things that haunts me, genuinely haunts me, like, keeps me up at night type thing is that people would be a part of our church for years and stay the same. Like, I'm not sure there's a more, um, if I can use the word, <laughs> damning indictment on the church than people not changing. And the reality is, the church, even this church, is full of people that are not changing. It is impossible to follow Jesus and not change. It's impossible. Jesus changes lives. That's what he does. That's who he is. That is that's kind of the whole thing, is that Jesus changes lives. If we are following Jesus, we are not supposed to stay the same. It's so often a criticism of people, isn't it? Boy, you've changed. <laughs> We're supposed to change. We are not supposed to follow Jesus and stay the same. Is there anything different about you at the beginning of this year 
than the beginning of last year. We have a little light in the ensuite in our bedroom. It shines just right above my head. One of the things I've noticed, and it only happens in certain lights, so you don't need to come looking for it, but I've got gray hair. I know. Actually, don't be sad for me. I'm excited. I've told Dana, like, be married to me. It's only getting better. I fully expect my prime to be somewhere between, like, 55 and 68. Like, that's going to be awesome. I'm being, I know. It's, it's only getting better. So I'm not afraid of gray hair. Um, to been, like, suspend the jokes for a second. One of the things we've completely lost as a culture is the ability to honor and respect elders. And we've made being young and idle. Young people are ages. They haven't figured stuff out yet. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Lovable agents, but isn't it funny? Like we've created this thing where like we all want to stay young and like, geez, I'm glad I'm not who I was when I was 18. That guy was a bit of a mess, right? We are supposed to grow. We're supposed to change. We are supposed to mature. And one of the questions that I have been reflecting on over the last couple of months really bothered by when I think about our community and um, those of us who are following Jesus here, I've been, I've been really, um, yeah, I probably could say disturbed by this question. Is there anything different happening here than the world around us? Like, is this essentially a sports club without sport, like a place where we get together and we share some interests and maybe some values, we make some new friends, we, you know, study an ancient book sometimes, sing some songs, karaoke's great. Is there anything different going on here? Is there anything different in our lives? Like if you're following Jesus, is your approach to money different than those who don't follow Jesus? I hope it is. If you're here and you're following Jesus, is your approach to people who offend you and that you find difficult different to how the rest of the world deals with people who offend them or who they find difficult? Is your approach to your job and your work, is it different to the rest of your colleagues who haven't encountered God yet? Is there anything different going on? There should be. There really, really should be. The beginning of Matthew chapter three says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea we see something that the people of Israel had longed for begin to happen. Something different began to open up in front of them. This crazy man dressed in camel skin and eating honey and locusts wandering the wilderness, yelling, repent, the kingdom of God is arriving. I can't help but wonder who was the first person to hear him like a lost lizard or a family out for a walk. Like imagine the first people, to understand this, right, camel's hair gets lost on us, right? What Matthew's trying to help you understand is John looked homeless. Like he looked homeless, no money, no possessions, 
no ability to generate any sense of security in his life. A wandering homeless man. To kind of put yourself in there, maybe this will be a fun adventure for you later, go up Sleeve Crew this afternoon, right, and walk off the path into the middle of the heather and imagine a homeless guy standing there yelling at the sky, repent because the kingdom of God is arriving. You've kind of got maybe a sense of what this was like. There's nothing romantic about this image of John. He's wearing the clothes of a pauper, wandering the wilderness, preaching to rocks in the dust. And the people flock to him. It's so interesting that John didn't go to the urban centers of the day. He didn't go to the theaters or the stadiums. John went to the wilderness. Kingdom conception. The new things that God wants to do in our lives always begin in the wilderness. Always begin in the wilderness. It's one of the things in our Western worship of comfort that really is unhelpful in our discipleship, that we think when we're in the wilderness, we've done something wrong. When you find yourself in a wilderness season or state, or if you're like me anyway, you're like, where, where, where did I not listen? What have I done wrong? Is there sin in my life that I don't know about? Why am I in the flipping wilderness? When really every time, every time God wants to do something new, he starts it in the wilderness. The text says that people came from everywhere to hear this message in the wilderness. People went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan. John's saying, God's about to do something new. God's about to do something new. And these people were longing for this new thing. They'd been waiting for generations for God to come and rule for them. They have a foreign military occupying their land. They're desperate for someone to come and set them free. And none of this is by accident. When Joshua led the people of Israel into the promised land, can any of you remember what the threshold was that they had to cross? Shout it out if you know it. There's this crazy moment at the beginning of Joshua where God confronts him and says, Moses is dead. It's one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. I'm convinced. It's not there. I'm just convinced of it. I'm convinced Joshua thought God was going to resurrect Moses. Like, I mean, he'd done all sorts of other miracles. It's entirely appropriate that Moses was the leader. The promised land was ahead of them. Moses dies. If you're in a biblical worldview as Joshua would have been, well, that's just, you know, fairly insignificant problem to God. Moses is lying over there dead. Joshua's in his tent going, anytime now, Lord, um, just go resurrect him and we'll all follow Moses. And God confronts Joshua with, by the way, he's dead. I'm not resurrecting him. Now go and lead the people into the land of promise. And the threshold is the River Jordan. They cross the River Jordan into the land of promise. It is no accident. In fact, it is entirely on purpose. 
that John is heralding the arrival of the new promise where the River Jordan. He is at the river, baptizing people there, saying, get ready, there is a whole new promise about to arrive. And it's way better than geography or boundaries. Beginning in the wilderness, God doing new things, starting new things in the wilderness, it's entirely consistent with how he acts. We don't see Jesus born in Jerusalem. We don't see Paul begin in Rome. The wilderness is the best place to start to change because the wilderness is where we get found by God. It's in the wilderness that we actually become open to new possibilities. And friends, if at the beginning of this year, you feel like you're in a bit of a wilderness, take heart, maybe God's about to speak. Maybe, just maybe, this is the place that God is about to do something new. The people come to the wilderness and this is what they hear. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near to you. This is one of the reasons why resolutions don't work because they rarely involve repentance. We think we can change by just adding stuff to our lives or trying harder or doing more. Change always begins with repentance. And we have to be so careful as followers of Jesus that we don't settle for not changing. It's one of the, I think, great sins of the church that we've settled for not changing. And it completely subverts the gospel. We worship a God who can do anything, but my life is the same as it was 10 years ago. My issues are the same as they were 10 years ago. My stuff is the same as it was 10 years ago. We have to learn to not settle Change is possible. But it's tricky because people in this fun little place called Northern Ireland don't really like change. And they like people who change even less. Just try this out, right? The next time you're at a dinner party, start with, hey, can I just tell you all about this issue I had in my life that I've completely overcome? Like I would struggle with it at, at all. I'm totally free. I mean, you might find some like proper Jesus followers there who can sum up a bit of like, good for you. But secretly, there'll be a fair bit of resentment. Have you ever found yourself in a conversation with a couple of people where they're complaining about something they're struggling with that you don't struggle with, that you tell them you struggle with? I have, I have observed this many times. But people I don't know, I know that don't have certain issues are in conversations with people where they're like, because, you know, it's empathetic and showing solidarity and you don't want to make somebody feel bad if they're like, you know, I'm completely addicted to Netflix and you're just not. And you're like, yeah, I really struggle with Netflix too. It's like, what is that? We do standardization here way better than uniqueness. Uniqueness... And people that are succeeding at life, look at the state of your man. 
too big for his boots, that guy. It's really problematic when it comes to what Jesus wants to do in our lives. He wants to teach us how to live full, free, healthy, joy-filled lives. Our lives are supposed to be marked by righteousness, peace, and joy. We should let our faces know. One of my grandfather, one of my grandfather's favorite things when we were kids, and we were loud and excited. He used to come into Moe Nana's living room and, in a fairly gruff manner, be like, "What are you kids so happy about?" Like. I don't know, Granda. <laughs> Being kids, <laughs> we haven't figured out what you know. Don't tell us, please. It's so funny. Like we 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 have this thing here where we we love to moan. We feel safe around grumpy people, and all the while Jesus is trying to pull us, kicking and screaming, into a life that is marked by hope and peace and life. Enjoy, church, is there anything different going on here? Is there anything different going on? We should be those that are radically hopeful and joyful. And that shouldn't be weird. It shouldn't be weird. Change begins with repentance. Some of you just need to start at repenting for being grumpy all the time. I'm only kind of kidding. Repentance, it simply means to change our mind. Simply means to change our minds. Or as my dear friend Jason, who leads the vineyard in Dungannon, defines repentance in this way. Repentance is being open to new possibilities in your life. That's entirely true, an entirely appropriate way to define repentance. That repentance is about being open to new possibilities in your life. That's what it means to repent. Dear God, I am open to new possibilities. If you find yourself in a state of mind that says you can't teach an old dog a new tricks. I've been this way for 50 years. I've been this way for 60 years. This is just who I am, friends. That's sinful. We've got repentance and sin all off balance on the scale. We think, we think sin is doing bad things and repentance is about escaping judgment and punishment when often sin is believing things that keep you from the fullness that God wants to release to you. And repentance is about being open to the new things that God wants to invite you into. Of course, sin is dumb decisions and repentance is the confession of sin and turning from that is those things, absolutely, but it is also more than those things. And we have to learn how to repent, not just in a way that says, sorry, but says, I'm open. Where do you want to take me? What are the new things that you want to give me? Repentance is about being open to new possibilities. John, in this moment, when he's calling people to repent, is not talking about the mistake they made yesterday. He is talking about them being open to an entirely new way of living. We'll see next week that Jesus is literally about to arrive and begin his public ministry and model to them what that new way of life 
is like. But in this moment, John is preparing the way and he's saying, you guys need to get ready for something new, something that you've never seen. And I'm inviting you to step into that. John goes on and it gets a bit more serious. Some of the religious leaders come out to see what all this excitement is about. And they arrive on the scene. And John in verse seven calls them a brood of vipers. How insulted would you be if I came over to your house, looked at your family and went, what a brood of vipers. I, I think quite honestly, we, we would maybe be more confused than insulted, right? Be like, well, snakes aren't good, maybe. I'm not sure. Brood means many snakes. Many snakes were loads of snakes. What, like, what do you mean? So vipers, when they're born, uh, eat their mom to survive. I know, right? This is why understanding what's going on in the Bible helps. So when John looks at the religious leaders, he says, your morality is equal to those who would eat their own mother to survive. These are like the religious guys. They're the guys who don't make any mistakes. They're the guys who look like God loves them the most. They're the guys who love to pronounce judgment on everyone else's mess. And when they arrive on the scene, rather than John going, can we all make way for the important people? He says, oh, here come those guys whose morality is equal to those who would eat their own mother to survive. And then he says this line that should scare us all fair bit. He says this, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. See, repentance that doesn't lead to change is no repentance at all, biblically anyway. Repentance is always supposed to do something to our lives. True repentance changes us. The door to different is not resolutions or programs, books or six-week plans. The door to different is repentance. And I think as a church, we have to recover this discipline of learning how to repent. Learning how to repent. To not be infected by this idea that we should feel terrible and therefore repent. That's kind of, at least for most of us, I think, how we think repentance works. That we repent when we feel bad. We do something wrong, we feel bad, then we repent, right? And then we feel better. What's interesting in that kind of circle is the kind of center of it is our feelings. Rather than using the life of Jesus as a standard for our lives, measuring our lives against that standard and where we fall short, repenting, and inviting God by his Holy Spirit to transform us into that likeness. That's what repentance is for. Is there anything different going on in our lives? John says repent because the king is coming. But for us, the times are different. I say repent because the king is here. And there is a whole new life that you're being invited into whole new life.
you're being invited into. Change your mind because fear no longer need control you. Jesus is here and that means new things are possible for you. New things are possible. New things are possible. A functioning political system in Northern Ireland is possible. It's possible. It's maybe not likely, but it's possible. And that's where we go wrong all the time as Christians. We spend our time asking what's likely. What's likely for my life? What's likely to happen this year? What's likely in my marriage? What's likely to happen in my business? That is not the Jesus way of thinking. The question we ask when we come to Jesus is what's possible and the answer is anything. Anything is possible, but it begins in repentance. Change your mind, unforgiveness, no longer need rule over you. Repent, righteousness, peace, and joy can be yours. In repentance, we allow someone much more able than ourselves to come and rule our lives. And this really is the crux of what I want us to land on this morning. When we repent in the biblical sense, we are not repenting to escape punishment, we are repenting to embrace lordship. That is so different. We don't repent to escape punishment. We repent to embrace lordship. And this is why repentance doesn't work for most of us. It's why we don't change. Because we think, oh man, I messed up. I need to repent or God's gonna be mad at me. So sorry for doing that, God, and on we go into the rest of our world. And then we do the same thing again. We're like, oh man, did that mistake again. Sorry, God, I repent. And then we go on with our lives. And nothing changes because we think repentance is about somehow kind of placating or pacifying an angry God. And it's like mistake plus repentance equals everything's gonna be okay. But that's not what Jesus came for. He came that we would learn how to live life in his kingdom, being constantly for the rest of our lives transformed into his likeness, learning to live lives of peace and joy. Repentance is about transformation. We repent from saying, God, I'm sorry that I keep making myself the boss of my life. I want you to come and be the boss of my life. That's what repentance is about. It's about lordship, not about escaping punishment. Now, if you wanna figure out how your repentance is going, right? Just imagine this. I'm gonna come around tomorrow night, right? So we're gonna do a moment of repentance in a minute, just warn you. We'll have a moment of repentance. We'll all repent together. We're not gonna repent because God's really mad at us. We're actually gonna repent because God really loves us and he wants to rule in our lives. And that means every single part of our lives, right? And then the way that we figure out if we've actually repented is I get to come over for dinner, right? And there are three areas of your life we're gonna talk about completely honestly, right? You can't lie to me, I'm a pastor and God strike you down if you do. So the three areas are this, your work, your relationships and your money, right? And we're gonna have lovely food and then after food, I'm gonna say, okay, talk to me about your approach to your work, whatever it is that you do, or your approach to trying to find work. Talk to me about how you approach that, right? 
And just in how you talk to me, I'll be able to tell if Jesus is actually ruling your life or you're over here with the rest of the world that just sees work as a paycheck and you really kind of hate it and blah, 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 blah. And then when we're done with that, we'll have some feedback and I'll tell you how you're doing. And then we'll talk about your relationships, your marriage and your kids or your friends or those that kind of you find difficult and how you respond to those people and some of the dynamics that are going on there. And, you know, I'll listen for a while and then I'll be able to tell you whether it's quite obvious that Jesus is actually ruling your life or you're over here with just everybody else that, you know, however you're feeling will dictate what's going on in those relationships and all that kind of stuff. And then the last one, which, you know, if you haven't kicked me out of your house by now, is the most fun, is where we'll get your, uh, all your uh, bank accounts out and we'll print off everything over the last kind of six months and we'll look at how you manage your money and, you know, we'll talk about, okay, let, let's see whether, like, Jesus being the boss of your life is being played out in this area too. And if at the end of that, we're sitting there going, it is so obvious to me that Jesus is ruling your life, guess what? You will be changing at a rate you have never seen. Now, I know most of you are absolutely terrified right now and thinking I'm an invasive fool. I'm not coming over. But the point is this, this is why transformation doesn't happen for Christians because they haven't actually made Jesus the Lord of their life. They've started to attend church and tried to clean their lives up a bit, manage some of their sin and not look as messed up as the next door neighbor or your sister and her family. When the invitation from God is repent, and allow me to rule. And not just in this part of your life, but in every part of your life. Sunday school 101, he's Lord of all or not Lord at all. He's either ruling your life or he's not. Not your feelings, not even your desires, not even your dreams. Jesus is either ruling your life or he's not. Now listen, this has got a bit intense and kind of, um, well, I'm not sorry, but I'm aware that it's a bit intense. But it's so, so, so important because I don't want to lead the kind of church that people can come to for two decades and not change. God loves you more than that, and so do I. There is a world of freedom and life and hope and peace and joy available to us on the other side of letting Jesus rule. And the door to that is repentance. Ali, why don't you, don't you and the guys come back up? We're gonna respond in a minute. Repentance, fundamentally, is about asking Jesus to be the boss of your life. And if we do that, we can't help but be different. We just can't help but be different. We can't help but go and reconcile with broken relationships. We can't help but offer forgiveness to those who haven't even asked. Because Jesus is ruling our lives, not the behavior of other people. When Jesus begins to rule our lives, we become hopeful in the midst of dire circumstance. We become hopeful in the midst of dire 
circumstance. We refuse to go with the flow and gossip and slander. We refuse to define people by their weaker moments. We look for life and hope and peace and joy wherever we go. We refuse to settle in our mess, but continually respond to the whispers of the Holy Spirit to move deeper and deeper into freedom and joy. We repeatedly put our ego and our comfort on the altar and learn to live as living sacrifices. Repentance makes us different. Repentance makes us different. Causes us to be humble. It's a declaration that we are not enough to solve our problems and that that's good news because there is one here who is. And his name is Jesus. The Jesus way of life begins in the wilderness on our knees, repenting and confessing our utter dependence on God. That's what this is all about. So I want us to finish this morning with a moment together of repentance. And don't go there. This isn't 2019 was a bad year for you. You know, you made some fairly major errors. You need to repent. Maybe you do and you do. And if you do, great, but that's not what I mean. This is a moment for us to repent in saying, Jesus, I want you to rule every single part of my life. I want you to be the ruler of every single part of my life. And I want to change. I want to get to January 2021 and go, that thing that defined me last year is gone. That addiction has been overcome. That behavior has changed. That mindset, I can't find it anymore. I am a different person.